0: Fualsha, 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 Akharja Gale, and welcome to episode 97 of the Rebel Matters podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Anla O'Carolan, and this week's guest on the show is Richard Hard, who has recently published a book called Space for Peace Fragments of the Irish Troubles in the Science Fiction of Bob Shaw and James White. And I think this is a really interesting episode. For a variety of different reasons. First of all, if you're a science fiction nerd, then this episode is going to be right down your street. At the time of recording, I was making my way through Douglas Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, so I was in sci-fi mode, and it was lovely to go further into the sci-fi rabbit hole. With Richard while recording this episode. Another big point of interest for me was that Bob Shaw and James White both worked in the Shorts Airplane Factory in Belfast, which has always been widely known as a very sectarian place to work with the vast majority of its workforce at the time that Bob Shaw and James White were working there, being from a Protestant background, and many of the Catholics that did work there often received a very hard time in their workplace. Richard talks a little bit about. James and Bob working in shorts during the chat here and how they both came to leave shorts to focus solely on their writing careers. In a way, this chat with Richard and to a far greater extent Richard's book, The Space for Peace, is like a bit of a snapshot into a very tumultuous time in Irish history. And it's quite fascinating to be talking about an artistic output that was created during that time of conflict and that might not necessarily be directly impacted by the war and the conflict and all the madness that was happening at the time but no doubt wouldn't have went uninfluenced by the political events of the time. Having said that we also discussed the pressure that authors and artists might be under or the expectation that people might have of them to have a political commentary running throughout their work or to present their art in a way that gives some kind of a message to people about the political situation that's unfolding around them at the time of writing or singing or painting or performing or whatever the case may be. And on a slightly different but somewhat related note, I don't know if you've seen the kneecap boys on the Channel 4 News on the 4th of May, given their thoughts and opinions on Irish unity and on the 100 years since the formation of the statelet of Northern Ireland. Stephanie Worth checking that out if you haven't already seen it. I think you can get it up on the Channel 4 player if you stick that into Google. But what I was going to say was, and without speaking on behalf of kneecap, but I have seen over the last number of years that they field quite a lot of questions about what the messages behind their songs or what a certain song means. And I've seen them consistently putting that back onto the person who has asked the question and saying that we can make our own minds up what the songs are about or what the real message is behind them. I actually was listening to a podcast the other day with Laura Lee who's the bass player in the band Krungbin and the interviewer was kind of asking what the story was behind a few of the songs on their latest album and she said something that really st- stuck with me, it was something along the lines of Laura Lee saying that she leaves it up to the listener to decide what the song is about because what the listener, the story that the listener will make up in their head about what the song is about is much more powerful to that listener than somebody else telling them what the song was about, even if that's coming from the person who wrote the song. Anyway, if you want to give this chat with Richard a bit of context, I would highly recommend sticking this podcast on pause and googling Bob Shaw's short story, Light of Other Days. It's a crackery story and it'll definitely help to set this episode up nicely for you. Richard and I talk about Light of Other Days in the chat here and we spend a little bit of time talking about the concept or the theme of slow glass in Bob Shaw's stories which is a glass that is matured somewhere out in nature and when you put the glass into a house what you're actually seeing inside the house is the images that were soaked up by the glass wherever it was that it was grown and matured so if you had the slow glass maturing out beside a waterfall for a few years and then you brought the glass to your house and installed it in the house you would be actually seeing the waterfall coming into your house anyway go and have a look for light of other days if you're in a position to do so if you're driving your car then don't try and google light of other days while you're driving you can do it later on but either way as i mentioned before on the podcast this episode is one of those ones that you just kind of have to Surrender yourself to and jump in with both feet and enjoy the ride and enjoy the experience of being immersed in the world of science fiction for a little while, where all things are possible. Last thing before we get stuck into the chat with Richard massive shout out to the crew over on Patreon who have been keeping the Rebel Matters podcast on the road by supporting this show through one of the five tiers of support that we have set up over on patreon.com forward slash rebel matters. All of the tiers of support are named after our favourite Irish trees and all have small gestures or tokens of gratitude associated with them. So if you want to become a patron of the show, then you can head over to patreon.com forward slash rebel matters and see how you can help us to keep on making these podcasts and meeting people and having chats and having the crack. But massive shout out to everyone who has been supporting the podcast so far. These are a bunch of legends and we 100% would not be still making this podcast if it wasn't for your support. So, gurukhed milamayagov. Anyway... Episode 97 of the Rebel Matters podcast with Richard Hard, Bonnie Gisoldas. <laughs>
1: Thank you very much Richard for joining us for the podcast, first of all.
2: No worries. Yeah. How did you find
1: yourself down such a deep rabbit hole of science fiction?
2: Um, it was a long, long journey. Um, I I'd always read science fiction. Like I, I was I'm kind of the I suppose the Star Wars generation, and then we found out that uh the guy Harrison Ford was in this film called Blade Runner. So, you know, everyone wanted to see Blade Runner and then that led to um the book of blade runner which is uh Philip K Dick's do androids dream of electric sheep um so that was kind of the start of it really um so it always you know maybe every third or fourth book i'd read would be a science fiction one um but then around 2004 i started um I started kind of researching science fiction and into the history of it and uh, trying to piece together where the random novels I was reading, what time period they were in, what what was going on, you know, kind of, I got this, um, illustrated encyclopedia of science fiction and I was making lists from it and going to secondhand bookshops and that kind of stuff, you know, just piecing it together. What, what was really interesting actually was that I started to realize that, um, people were using it to make political points, I suppose. Um, so you'd find uh, African-American science fiction, like people like Octavia Butler would be reflecting on, um, on being black in America through science fiction. Then I'd also see, uh, you know, the women's press had done a series of feminist science fiction. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of got me interested uh, in, in, um Making it an area of study. I mean, th- this was this was years before I actually, I actually was in college or anything. You know, I was doing this, you know, working and kind of doing this as a hobby kind of thing. You know, yeah.
1: Did you find that there was a thread of Irish science fiction that was being influenced by the political climate or the the current climate of the
2: time? Well, it, it's quite um, it's quite hard to kind of locate. Um, Irish science fiction because like people like Bob Shaw, who we'll be talking about in a, in a minute, they, they, they were plugged into kind of an international science fiction um, scene, I suppose. So they were writing for that and they were being accepted. Him and White were being accepted by that scene and, you know, were quite successful as science fiction writers go. Um, but yeah, when I was I was on that little journey of, 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 uh, of um learning more about it um their titles would pop up in second-hand bookshops you know so I would have got um the slow glass novel um uh other days other eyes which um the story light of other days is in um I think I think I got that in a second-hand bookshop in Melbourne when I was there like for a while, for a while and um it didn't look like an Irish but you, Irish kind of book necessarily, but then you read at the back like uh, Bob Shaw, born in Belfast and it's, you just start piecing it together. Um, and then also I think on that same trip, I got um, Joseph O'Neill's Land Under England, which is like a 1930s Irish uh, science fiction novel, um, which, I mean, that was definitely drawing on what was going on in the 30s in Ireland. Like it's, it's about, um, it's it's set in england but it's about a, a group of um it's the premise is the romans never left england they went underground and they uh, evolved into these creatures with mind controlling powers and things like that you know and I, I definitely see um you know uh parallels there with not only what was going on in europe with fasci- fascism but like the blue shirts in our, ireland in ireland as well you know so there's definitely, there's a strain of, of our science fiction that is drawing from um, from uh, the cl- political climate of the time, yeah.
1: We're going to open up the can of worms here of the the book that you have, which is actually just released last year. Yeah. Or this year? No, is this, it, year,
2: yeah. this uh, year, yeah. First of February.
1: Yeah, first of February. So it's brand new and yeah. it's, uh, it's called uh, Space for Peace and it's about yeah. the... Kind of an analysis of the output of Bob Shaw and James White, the two science fiction writers from Belfast. And whenever I was getting ready for this interview, and I felt the same thing that I feel like when I pick up a science fiction book, I'm reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy at the minute, and I read it at, at nighttime before I go to bed. And I find that I just have to, there's a bit of a switch that has to flip from being in the rational world. Where everything makes sense and things yeah. are pretty logical to yeah. going into this world where things do not no longer make sense and they're not logical and anything can happen.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I get that now with realist novels where I'm wait I'm reading it going something's gonna happen yeah. here, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and it never comes.
1: <laughs> uh, you're like whenever I was going through the notes for for the podcast here before we got onto the call, um, and Vicky had put together a little kind of preparation document that I was reading. And I was like, "You what the hell has Sinn Féin got to do with this podcast? It was like SF was written the whole way through. And then I was like, oh. "Yeah," my head, I was like science fiction. <laughs> like I was still in the world of logic and uh, yeah, yeah. things that we're used to. <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose that's a bit of a warning for anyone who's listening to this to be open to flipping that switch right about now Yeah, to yeah. take a deep dive into the world of science fiction. Um, yeah. So, how did it come about that you ended up writing this book in the first
2: place? Um. Well, I, I after that little, uh, little research project that I took, uh, I took upon myself to do. Um, I, I went back to college as a mature student. Um, I did uh, English media and cultural studies in IDT uh, Dunleary. Um. And as part of that, we do we do Irish literature, so I knew about these Irish science fiction writers. Um, so I was always looking in the journals that you get access to. Uh, has anyone written about them? You know, and it was turning up nothing. So uh, I was like, oh, I'll keep that. I'll keep that in my back pocket. You know, and uh, so my dissertation was about that book, uh, that Joseph O'Neill book um land under England. Um and uh I then that led I I, I went to Liverpool, I did a, a MA in science fiction studies in Liverpool, um which which was amazing. Like um the head of the schools of the science fiction department, Andy Sawyer, like really, really great um wealth of knowledge, you know. So I I was I talking to him about Bob Shaw. Um, and he, he actually knew Bob Shaw cause he was involved in kind of the fan kind of community, uh, the, uh kind of, uh, science fiction, international science fiction kind of fan community. I think he'd written uh, Bob Shaw's, uh, obituary in one of the science fiction magazines, you know? So he, he didn't know him, know him really well, but like he, he knew him. So, uh, I started talking to him about Bob Shaw and then. Um, I knew about James White but I'd never read any James White and then someone kind of suggested oh like you could look at him in conjunction with James White and um, I started I just started reading tons of that stuff Um, and I applied to the Irish Research Council um, to do a PhD on it Um, and I got got the funding, you know, it was all kind of contingent on the on the funding and I, I got it. So um that's really the, the the basis of the book is that the Irish Research Council gave me that time to, you know, research and and, and kind of and and uh, work on the book, you know.
1: It kind of feels like we're reverse engineering the work here of um yeah. Bob Shaw and James White because most people would start off with a book or a story and read it and then go a little further and try and find out more we're going to start behind like before that really like uh, like, which is fascinating because of where they came from and what was happening
2: at the time so what do we know about them shaw was uh shaw was protestant white was catholic um they both worked in shorts aircraft company um and kind of um were trying to establish themselves as professional writers. I, I, th- I think they both, they both kind of managed it in, in their own way. I think, um, white took early retirement from shorts cause he, he had diabetes and his sight so was kind of, uh, failing. Um, so he, he wrote a good lot of novels. I think he, he went, he retired in, um, to, uh, Port Stewart, I think, um, and continued writing his novels there. um, and Shaw I think left he le- he left Ar- Ar- uh he left Ireland and uh he lived in, in England um for a while. Um the other the third figure though is um who kind of we can't forget is is Walt Willis, who um him and James White, um their friendship kind of um started the Irish kind of fandom group. Um it's really, it's really interesting how they met. Um, they were both in Belfast, uh, both massive science fiction fans. Um, Shaw bought a copy of the English uh, science fiction magazine called Fantasy, and noticed that there was um, there was a letter from uh, another Belfast person who liked science fiction, and they printed the full address in the magazine in them days. And he just wrote him a letter and said. I like science fiction too. Do you wanna do you wanna meet up and talk about science fiction? Um so that that led to um the two of them producing their own science fiction zine um called Slant. Um I think they met in 1947, um, and Slant was produced a few years later. But um really, really uh, if if you if you get a chance to Google Slant science fiction zine. Um really amazing looking they they did it on um uh, a hand lever kind of press um the legend is that they stole it from a chemist uh <laughs> who who used to use it to print their handbills you know um, and uh, really really ama- like White used to do woodcuts like of like rocket ships and print print for the covers and stuff you know really really handmade kind of stuff um so they set up Irish fandom and started producing that magazine. They actually got really, really famous quite quickly within Irish uh, or within science fiction circles just for this uh, fanzine that they produced. Um, and then I think Shaw came along later. I think in 1950, Shaw joined um, the group Irish fandom, it was called, Um so they'd produce these zines and kind of meet up and talk about science fiction and swap swap books and things like that.
1: To put it into kind of a historical context, would they, would they have been working in, in shorts around the 70s?
2: Well, I think uh, James White would have left in 1968 um, because he retired because of his diabetes. Um, and then Shaw moved in 73. Um he 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 left. He he said he left because of um, the troubles. I, I think
1: it's I a really concerned. interesting uh, place to start because when you think about sixty eight, would have been the time that uh, sectarian tensions were massively on the rise in Belfast. August nineteen sixty nine is when it kind of peaked in a way or overflowed when Bombay, Bombay Street was burnt down, and then nineteen seventy two was kind of notoriously known as the most bloody year of the entire conflict. And Shorts, the Shorts um, company that they were working for was notorious for being a very sectarian workplace. So that's kind of the backdrop to their work. And I guess from there, uh, the obvious question is, what kind of an impact did all of that have on their writing?
2: Um, They were kind of... um determined um, for they saw science fiction and the, the Irish fandom group as a kind of a, a non-sectarian um oasis almost the way they talked about it um however I I I I I do think that James White was the only Catholic in, in the group. Um so you know but they, they the, the ideal was and it's kind of similar to the way they talk about. Um, you hear people talk about punk in 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 Northern Ireland as a, a non sectarian space. Uh, you know, your identity was you were a punk. It wasn't. You know, you were either. You know, which I mean, I don't. I don't know how that played out um, in actuality. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if you've that, seen
1: that. I don't know if you've seen that movie, Good Vibrations. About yeah, the record yeah. shop in Belfast and Terry Hooley. I remember going to see that film. By mistake, kind of there was an outdoor cinema happening in Fitzgerald Park in Cork about yeah. five years ago. And I just went to it because I knew that there was being a film was being shown, but I didn't know that it was gonna be that film. And then uh watched it and um you know, like they talk the the kind of one of the themes of that uh, it's all about kind of, I guess the punk movement and the undertones and the teenage kick mm. song that kind of took off. And I w- afterwards, I rang with Dan. I was like, here, I was like, did you ever hear of a record shop called uh, good vibrations? And he's like, a Terry sure, you I know him well, I spent all my yeah. days down there. And yeah. uh, I suppose looking back now, it is, it is kind of, um, what are platformed as kind of this underground movement that was non sectarian. And it was about the music and the scene in and itself. So it's interesting to hear yeah. you saying that it was Kind of a parallel to the, the yeah. sci-fi, how did, how did the sci-fi people like communicate? Like, how did they, all the sci-fi nerds meet up? Was it like in comic shops or what?
2: Around um, d- at uh, James White's house, I think. Um, in, in a lot of the um, the fan, a lot of the fan stuff in the like the writing in the fanzines would be about the meetings. Um, so it would be all about. Uh, very very nerdy in jokes about the like water pistol fight that they had you know pretending that they're laser gun guns kind of stuff uh and you know peggy peggy white james james white's uh wife um you know compliments about her cooking and stuff like that you know so it was very um it was very just you know in people's in people's front rooms and that kind of thing you know When I was reading
1: up about Bob Shaw, he mentioned that he was first getting sci-fi comics from the Smithfield market down in the town of Belfast when American soldiers who had been passing through as kind of on their way home from the Second World War had left them there and he was picking them up. And he mentioned that it had a bigger impact on him than taking LSD. Yeah,
2: Uh, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: When I read that, I, I kind of uh, it, it kind of made sense to me because, you know, particularly in the sixties, there was a crossover. You know, writers like Philip K. Dick were taking LSD. But I did read he 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 wrote a disclaimer somewhere. I don't know whether he was worried his mom was reading, uh, and he said like just you know I've never taken LSD, but I I imagine you know I imagine that it has a better. Uh, had a more would would have had a more profound effect, like you know. So a little bit of a backtrack. yeah, he kind of backtrack. Yeah, he did a bit of a backtrack.
1: <laughs> is is sci-fi inherently linked with psychedelics, especially the the work that was coming out of that period of time, the sixties and seventies?
2: Yeah, def- um Through that period, I mean, there, there was kind of a, a movement in science fiction, um uh both in in england and america called the new wave of science fiction um so it was people who were kind of uh they basically said look science fiction as we knew it was for kids you know uh, fantasies about rocket ships and things like that so uh, we're going to write about adult stuff so you know sex drugs you know it was kind of uh, we're going to put all that on the table. And there was a lot of kind of formal experimentation as well, you know, taking influence from William Burroughs and James Joyce and uh, stuff like that. Um, funnily enough, um, there was kind of a civil war within science fiction because of these new upstarts uh, coming on the scene. And uh, definitely Shaw, I'm not sure if White, but definitely Shaw had spoke out against them, um, saying that... Um, well, he took them to task. He said their science was less than rigorous, uh, and you know, uh, the yeah, I, I think there was a lot of a sense that these young upstarts were getting getting away with it just because they were, you know, putting smutty scenes and drugs in their in their science fiction. You know,
1: Are they kind of making out that it was a less pure form of writing or something like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, because I mean, science fiction, it's uh, I mean, it's kind of non-realist but i mean formally it's quite um it's it's in that in that period at least like formally it, it tended to be quite conservative and quite just you know stories written in the third person uh start middle and end like very very kind of conventional it, i mean it's the ideas within the fiction that are non-conventional rather than the the form itself i suppose
1: you mentioned that the sci-fi movement was intentionally non-sectarian, but the events of the time must have had an impact on the writing nonetheless.
2: Yeah, like it definitely, it it, it, it bleeds in, definitely. I mean, Shaw's first novel, uh, Nightwalk, from 1967, I mean, to me, it kind of reads like a, a critique of of unionist ideology but like kind of um transposed to like the relationship between two planets um so there's a, a an organization called the block who want to maintain a link to earth uh, on this this planet called m luther they want to maintain a you know a link to earth and the protagonist is part of this uh part of this group uh, of of uh terrorists who were like you know agitating for this um but he comes to the realization at the end you know we've got you know they, they unlock some way of um of uh gaining access to multiple planets and at the end he comes to this realization like why why am i so bothered about you know the link to that planet like there's millions of planets we can explore you know um so de- it definitely kind of it kind of bleeds in. Um, I mean, uh, James White. I mean, he 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 would re- he declared himself a pacifist and said, "I'm writing pacifist space opera." So space opera will be the most militaristic subgenre in science fiction. It's all it's all massive, massive rocket ships blowing the crap out of each other. You know, that's that's the ba- basis of of space opera. So he. He said, "You know I'm gonna write in this genre and try and write pacifist um space opera, so he set his his um fiction on uh, a massive like hospital floating in space called sector general um that uh you know was designed to cater for any alien species that come in you know so there's aliens that breed chlorine so they have whole wards that are just chlorine uh." Uh, chlorine wards, and you know, if you breathe oxygen, you have to put on a, a suit to go in, um, that kind of thing. So he he was definitely, they were definitely reacting against it, you know, it, it, or, or reacting to it, you know, it, it, it was seeping in into the fiction, definitely. You
1: mentioned there that James White was, say, self proclaimed pacifist, and just before we started recording there you were kind of talking about something that he'd said about if you just get out get the few bad apples out of in in the context of the north and the conflict in the north if you get the few bad apples yeah. out that that things would be much better
2: yeah um and i talk about in the book that in the book in the context of um of a, a novel called um underkill which was put that out in 1979 um and the the premise of that novel like it, it, there's aliens looking at the earth basically and seeing that it's gone wrong somehow um it's it's followed a, b- a bad path and um so they inter- intervene in 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 earth affairs um with bombings and murders and things um and the way they see it is like we're cutting out the we're cutting out the um diseased uh tissue um so it's really quite yeah and um yeah the interview in interzone magazine uh James White says that like he's uh, inevitably he was asked about the troubles you know in in any magazine he was interviewed in like they they'd ask him about that um and he, he says like there's there's a poisonous few keeping it going and if we could only get you know if we're going get rid of the poisonous few um which um which kind of reminded me of operation demetrius and you know Brian Faulkner's statement on that you know that i can't remember the exact words but it's very it's it's very similar you know very similar um sentiment
1: so operation demetrius was whenever the british government sent in the troops to arrest who they thought were the leadership of the republican movement at the time and thought if they extracted them that they could kind of end the civil unrest and yeah it turned out that that backfired Massively, because first of all, their all their intelligence was very faulty and they ended up arresting people who were nothing got to do with the Republican movement or people yeah. who had been active in the 40s and now were in their 60s and well-retired. Yeah, and to trade,
2: tra- trade unionists and just like anyone. Um, yeah, but the thing
1: that you're, you're saying there about, uh, about James White say, kind of saying that he was a pacifist and about having that sort of mentality of just take out the few bad apples, it really opens up a discussion about uh, the narrative that we choose
0: Mm.
1: to sort of, um, I don't know, relay our thoughts or our our opinions about a a certain situation. And inherently whenever I'm exposed that narrative, it kind of makes me recoil a little bit because I think when when we were say growing up in Belfast, it was never about, oh, a few bad people keeping things going or hating people because of their religion. It was a, a political conflict and a military occupation. So we just seen it from a dis- different perspective. It's not to say that that was completely yeah. factual or true or that his narrative, the way that um, he's saying, it's just a few bad apples keeping it going, is completely true or completely false, but yeah. it definitely opens up the the conversation.
2: Yeah. And I mean, like he, he was a Catholic who worked in shorts and um, I could imagine that influenced his thinking a bit as well. You know, that when I came to look at Shaw's work as um, as pacifist, like I, I was looking for, um, I suppose, non-violent resistance and that kind of thing, you know, with the kind of Martin Luther King um line you know but that that would have kind of influenced I suppose the civil rights movement in in Northern Ireland and maybe maybe as a Catholic working in shorts that was a bit you know a bridge too far to talk about that kind of stuff
1: so it's possible because he was working in a very sectarian workplace that he was not putting these threads of resistance into his work because he was yeah. worried that there would be a, a blowback and that he would be putting himself in harm's way?
2: Yeah, possibly. I mean, as you say, like, um, um, earlier, like, maybe he actually thought that, you know, as well, you know? Um, maybe, Is it possible said, also that he was just, like, writing this stuff as a f- form of escapism? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and, I mean, that that links to, I mean, that links to what we were talking about with, with Punk and the undertones. Um, that uh I mean the undertones it's certainly the first two albums they never talk about the troubles you know they they like it's all you know, and their second album starts with the song here's more songs songs about chocolate and girls, you know, and you hear of that as almost a utopian resistance, like you know not going no, this is our space where we get to like we get to uh we get to live like other people are who are not in. Uh, conflict zones, you know, like why? Why do we always have to be fighting the war? And ev- every single, you know, every every single utterance we make doesn't have to be about that, you know. Um, I've,
1: I've read that before, where the undertones were constantly getting asked about
2: the yeah. north
1: or dairy or whatever, and their stuff definitely has a feel to like, look, see, just for a while, like fuck this, let's just do something else that gets us away from this. Yeah, Which yeah, is yeah. fair. So it's a, which is a fair point in that. Uh, I suppose it's uh, an unfair expectation to constantly want someone yeah. to give you a, a political insight or have some sort of deep political message just because of the fact that there's all mental stuff happening around them.
2: Yeah, and it's like, it's like um, I remember seeing an interview with Zizek, the uh, philosopher, Zizek, uh, where's he from? Slovenia. Um, and he, he said while there was like, conflict uh, there you know he went to um, a conference on Alfred Hitchcock and like he was speaking about Alfred Hitchcock films and someone put up their hand in the audience and was like there's a conflict like in like why like what are you doing here like you should be you should be at home like and he said he said, well, why don't you go there for a change? <laughs> why don't you go there? And I'll, I'll I'll come here and enjoy myself talking about Alfred Hitchcock. You go there, you know? <laughs> yeah. So there's a little bit of that, like, you know, wh- whenever I find myself, like, critiquing that, I'm, I kind of remember that and go, yeah, I mean, it's a fair point, you know?
1: <laughs> I was reading Bob Shaw's Light of Other Days earlier yeah. on there, just before we come on the call, which is... A- a short story that's available online. Did you ever get any negative feedback about say any of the, the the material that you've written about in the
2: book? Um not so far. Um but uh the book's only out, so you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's only out a couple of weeks or <laughs> there's, plenty,
2: <laughs> there's plenty of time. <laughs> like
1: well, well, are, I mean, are I... you worried about it or do you do you think that there's a possibility that somebody might might be like this
2: is this is bullshit. Yeah, mate. yeah, yeah, maybe I mean my my whole my whole goal was just to insert um Irish science fiction, Northern Irish science fiction into the conversation of Irish studies, I suppose. So I mean if if I get flack, then mission accomplished. Uh, you know, it's like just starting the, the conversation about it. Um, and I, I mean, like uh, Jack Fennell's book came out uh, a few years ago, a, a kind of overview of Irish science fiction, and he has a chapter on Bob Shaw and James Weiss, and then Ian MacDonald, who's a, who's a later kind of contemporary uh, Belfast author. And, and I, I'm sure Jack was thinking the same, that, that nobody's, ri- nobody's really writing about this stuff. Someone has to be the first to, you know, put it on the table, and and whatever conversations come from that, like it, it's 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 a good thing, you know.
1: In a way, it's you're kind of treading a, a tightrope in a way because you're mm. writing about, say, Shaw and White's uh, output as authors, and they didn't necessarily, literally put the pieces like join the dots of i'm writing about this because this is happening or this is an artistic interpretation of this thing that happened around whenever i was a kid or this is i wrote this because i'm working in a sectarian workplace or that whatever's happening whereas in your book in a way you are kind of trying to join the dots somewhat uh yeah so yeah that and that can be very sensitive thing for people in that uh yeah you know, like in the, the conflict is we're, we're still in living in a in a post-conflict era uh, and there's yeah. loads of people who have lived, lived through it in a way and um i'm not saying that I, I didn't get that that sense from it but um in a way i kind of think that the more uh intense the the, the more ridiculous the political environment then in a way, mm-hmm. the more ridiculous the art becomes uh, to counter that, yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah. So it might actually, it might yeah. Kind of might have some parallels with what we're going through now with the coronavirus and everything. We might see this uh, yeah, yeah. creative spurt yeah. of ridiculous art coming out that yeah. people will <laughs> yeah, look back yeah. on and be like, what the hell was that about? And then there'll be someone writing doing a phd but it, well, well this was written because at the time there was a global pandemic and everybody was going yeah. mad and then this person kind of interpreted and then made, made
2: these books it's the di- dile- dilemma of literary theory in general you know do i write about what the author intended directly or do i write about what was going on um socio politically and kind of you know, t- try and tie the two together. You know, it's 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 um it's it's the dilemma of, of literary theory, kind of generally. And I suppose we were talking about earlier about the the Marxist theory of science fiction and kind of like that. Uh, well, particularly like theorists like Darko Suvid and Frederick Jameson, they'd say that that it's it's fiction whether the person kind of knows it or not or whether the person wants to acknowledge it like you know that it's all it's always drawing from what's what's in the in the surroundings and kind of estranging estranging it I suppose
1: that's a sign of I suppose very powerful art when it leaves a measure of uh, choice up to the person who's yeah
2: to make your own conclusions anyway yeah yeah yeah, definitely. And, and, and with John White again, like it's really it's difficult because the majority of their audience wasn't uh, wasn't Northern Irish, you know, or Irish, you know. They they were kind of aiming it at an American market, at a you know a English speaking market internationally, you know. So they didn't really um, they didn't need like. I suppose the mass acceptance of of people in northern because they were sustained by by um, the international science fiction community in a way. So, um, yeah, it's hard. He, he, and that, that's another layer that you have to dig into, I suppose, of of who who were the who was the audience. Like you know, who did they think was was receiving this uh, material? I think part of um, part of Shaw's popularity was um, he was a really good. Uh, very funny public speaker. Um, so he would, he, he used to do these, um, things, he used to call them the serious scientific talks. So they, they were kind of like, uh, piss take, uh, science talks at, but he used to do perform at, at science fiction conventions. Um, and you know, to, but by all accounts, they were hilarious and people would look forward to the, oh, Bob's doing a serious scientific talk at whatever time, you know? um, so part, part of it was, um, yeah, he, he, part of it was his, his impact on fan culture as well, I suppose. Um, like he, he won, uh, like the Hugo awards is like the, the big science fiction awards, you know? And I think he won, I think he won best fan twice or something like that. And he won, um, or was he, yeah, he, he was nominated for, oh, I think he won for, um, light of other day or uh, yeah, light of other days. Um, so like he, he won more for his, uh, his fan activity than he did for, you know, his writing.
1: Can I ask you a little bit about the book? How did you come up with the the title and the structure of the book
2: itself? The title, um, space for peace. It, it was called something different. I, I, when I finished my PhD, it was called, it was called a strange conflict. And, uh, I, Someone advised me that it was a bit obscure. Um so I thought Space for Peace. I mean, I, I suppose what we were talking about about them seeing um science fiction as this kind of oasis of away from the, the conflict, you know, um space for peace. But also I, I talk a bit in the book about the overview effect. Uh this um this guy Frank White, uh he has this this theory which is is you know i i i i don 't agree with the theory basically, um but he says that um that people uh, who've been at, in space and look back at the earth in space have this um suddenly this this peaceful feeling of like an, an
1: awakening or something like
2: that yeah, and that um they realize that like why are we why are we having these conflicts about lines on a map? Uh, you know, we're all one kind of thing. Uh, like it's it's heavily ideological though, because when when people who who talk about this talk about the lines on the map, it's always it's always like the Middle East, or you know what I mean. Like like they're they're not they're not talking about erasing the the border between Canada and the United States, for instance. Um, but yeah, Frank White, he 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 thinks that if we if we just get more people into space looking at the earth then like you know um but i i mean and i i kind of connect that with the um the idea of the poisonous view you know yeah. it's it's a very it's a very looking at something from a distance and you know making very simplistic um judgments um so i i think space for peace kind of kind of means that as well, you know. So, There's it's, just a few people I
1: can think of that would mind giving them a look at the Earth from space and then just not letting them back down again.
2: <laughs> maybe, maybe we could popularize the Frank White thing among a certain few people. Yeah, you know? but there we are with the poisonous view. Yeah, in the opposite direction. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Science fiction sometimes seemed like it's been really prophetic. Some of the science fiction books from the sixties and seventies, and and they're talking about uh, even back to Fahrenheit four five one, like they've got these little things in their ears that have sound coming from them. That was before, yeah. Like headphones weren't even yeah. invented. Like walkmans yeah, weren't yeah. even
2: invented back then. Well, there was that there was that court case where um, two companies who make uh, tablets, and one was suing the other. Is it Apple? Uh, I can't remember who, but one was suing the other, and the defense in court was you couldn't have invented the tablet because look at this Stanley Kubrick film, 2001, space odyssey. And one of the astronauts has, you know, what looks exactly like, you know, an an iPad or whatever. I don't think it's stuck. I don't think it's stuck, (laughs) but like, it was a good try. Like,